This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. So any of you guys that know me, you probably know that I absolutely love being a dad. Like, I just do. Uh, One telltale sign is that I am chocked full of dad jokes. If you've hung out with me at all, you know that anything and everything is fair game to be turned into a dad joke. But I absolutely love being a dad. And if you're connected with me at all um, on social media or anything, you would see that on Saturday we have a very sacred thing in my house. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Saturday morning is pancake morning, right? And so my wife sleeps in notoriously and misses pancake morning every Saturday. But I get up with my four kids and we make pancakes And our children's pastor, Carmen, who is not in here, she's back there ministering to the kids, but she'll listen to the podcast later. She thinks that her pancakes are better than mine, but this past week we had Olivia over, who is her daughter, and Olivia confirmed, I got it on video, that I make the best pancakes in the world, okay? So Carmen, on the podcast, this is for you to know that I am announcing to the church that I am dominant in the art of pancake making. But I make pancakes on Saturday mornings with my kids, and I absolutely love it. It's like one of my favorite things of the week. I think that I might look forward to making them pancakes more than they look forward to eating the pancakes, just because I love, love, love being a dad. This past week, um, we got the coolest thing. So we, we found this deal on Amazon. Do you guys shop for deals on Amazon all the time? I feel like that's like my wife's spiritual gift is Amazon. It's crazy. So we get this package in the mail that's massive, and inside of it are two new car seats. I guess she found like this buy one, get one, something. I don't know. Who cares? We got these car seats, right? And so they came in this massive box, but then inside the massive box were two really, really big boxes. And so we took these big boxes, me and my boys, and we took the car seat boxes and cut two holes in the side and a hole in the top. And cut off the bottom tabs, made wings, and we made spacesuits this week, guys. It was amazing. And then we took the big box that the two little boxes were in, and we made a spaceship. And I let them name the ship, and so Jude wanted to name it Colossus. I've never even heard of that word. I don't even know if it is a word, but he wanted to name it Colossus. And my son Titus wanted to name it Falcon. Like Falcon, but with a V, because Vs are cooler, is what he said. I was like, oh, Okay, so our spaceship is entitled, and it says it real large on the front of it, the Colossus Falcon. And I just love it. Again, I might be more excited about these spacesuits and this spaceship than my boys, but I absolutely love that kind of stuff. And then I have a daughter named Monroe, and Monroe is like the girliest girl ever. She's just like her mother in that way. She's just super, super girly. Like, you will rarely see Monroe. Sunday morning is pretty much the only time that she's not wearing a Disney princess dress right? And so she's, she's all about it. She came out of the room the other day and had lipstick from like the bottom of her eyes to the bottom of her chin to her ears. She looked like, you know, the Joker from Batman movies. And it, it was a little scary, but adorable all at the same time. And she's all about that. And she's always coming up to me and she's like, dad, will you paint my nails? I'm like, yeah, baby, I'll paint your nails. Absolutely. My wife's like, will you paint mine? I'm like, no, not happening. Not happening. I have a man card that I have to protect. It's okay with my daughter. And so I paint her nails and all, and she's just so sweet. And then my son Jackson, um, I can just describe him in two words, kisses and cars. This kid is like obsessed with cars. And so I was talking to my wife yesterday and I got thinking about it. I was like, hey, sweetheart, you know, 
how often do you think you give Jackson kisses in a day? And she was like, she thought about it. She's like, mm, probably like three or four times. I was like, what? Three? I kiss that child at least a hundred times a day. Like, and I'm not exact, like I kiss him probably 50 times before he comes from his bedroom, which is upstairs to our main foot. You guys are like, okay, this guy's a weirdo. No, have you seen Jackson's cheeks? I mean, they're like chubby and soft. And when he first looks up, they're warm. It's like the best thing ever. Like I stop at every stare and I like, stop, kiss, stare. Did I just lose my man card in front of all of you just now? I just talked about it and then I'm, okay, sorry. Um, anyway, I, I love being a dad. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. And if we're being honest, all of us have a dad. It's a biological fact. I don't want to get into the birds and bees this morning, but uh, there, there was a dad involved in there somewhere. And so some of us, we have a really good dad. You know, some of us had a really good dad where they were very loving and they were very caring and they were present and they were in a, a leader and they were an example and they were a provider and a protector. And you look at your dad and you would say, you know, Tom Brady was asked this past week and all this Super Bowl stuff. Uh, he was like, you know, who's your hero? And he started talking about his dad and just like started crying and was like, this dude is like my hero. And, and it was just, you know, beautiful moment for him. And so, you know, many of us had a really, really solid father figure, you know? Some of us had a not so good dad. I'm not going to say a a terrible dad. I'm going to get to that in a second. But some of us had, you know, a a not so good dad. Maybe they were in and out a little bit. Maybe they were a little more preoccupied with their career than they were um, with their kids. Or maybe they were still, you know, working themselves out so they couldn't really help work you out. You know, they, they, they were a dad, but they were busy working on their own stuff and getting their own stuff together seemingly for your entire life. And so maybe you had not such a, a, a great dad, but some of us, we had a terrible dad, you know? And, and that's just the reality of it. it. It wasn't a neutral situation in our life. You know, some of us have a very positive situation with our, our father. Some of us have a neutral situation. It's like, eh, it's hit or miss, here or there, whatever. Some of us had a terrible dad, you know? Some of us had a dad that had nothing to do with us whatsoever. Some of us had this really, really negative impact their father had on them. It more drug us down than it did build us up or encourage us or move us forward in life. I heard a great analogy one time that, you know, dads are supposed to, it's like a, the, the kids are, a, it's like a bow and arrow and the kids are the arrows and the dad's holding the bow and the dad can either point it up in the sky and shoot their kids forward and catapult them into success. But this guy I was talking to, he's like, you know, that's the analogy, but I feel like my dad took that bow and arrow, pointed it straight at the ground and shot it. And it like broke my heart, but that, that's, that's the reality. You know, some of us had really, really terrible situations when it came to our fathers. And so the reason I'm talking about all this dad stuff, and it's not even Father's Day, but which is the best day ever, because I get a new grill usually, and I love grilling out. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The reason I'm talking about all this dad stuff is because today we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we're focusing on the first stanza of the Apostles' Creed. And so uh, before I, I start this, though, when I say the word creed, what comes to mind for you? What sort of, what, when, when we're talking about the Apostles' Creed and things, what, what are some things that come to mind when you think of the word creed? I mean, there's a video game called the Assassin's Creed that is a video game and a, that's what I'm talking about. Is that what you got? That's, that's the mental image that comes into my mind when I think of creed. Is that, no? Do you guys know who this is? No, it's only the best rock band of all time, Correct. Amen, hallelujah, second, 
is Nickelback, but these guys are first, right? Right, Scott Stapp with like his foot on the monitor, the wind blowing his hair, his chest hair curling. Right, are you getting, can you take me higher? Right, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That's not the creed that we're talking about this morning though. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed. So if we can, yes, please, thank you. Thank you. Some of the women were beginning to lust and we can't, you know, let that happen in church. <laughs> and some of the guys were about to puke. Um, so the Apostles' Creed is what we're talking about, not Creed, the greatest band ever. Um, we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. And so the Apostles' Creed, for those of you who don't know, let me kind of give you an update of, of what that is. The Apostles' Creed, it originated around 215 AD, which is about 200 years after Christ walked the earth. And so this thing is super, super old. The, the earliest we have it in writing is around 390 AD. It was from this bishop uh, that wrote it to the Pope, and it was through this uh, transpiring of letters and all this stuff. But essentially, to give you a point of reference of when this was happening, the Apostles' Creed came around around the time of the canonization of Scripture. And so before there was even a Bible, this thing was around, this Apostles' Creed. And when the canonization of Scripture took place, this is where a bunch of the bishops and the archbishops and all these dudes in the church came together and said, these are the books that are okay to be in the Bible. These are the ones that are congruent with one another. These are the ones that paint the picture of what actually happened and through a direct lineage and all this different stuff. You know, they went through all this process and said, this is what the Bible is. And so around the same time that that was happening, there was this creed called the Apostles' Creed. And the reason that this thing is important is because what this did is it established the faith, the faith, air quotes. It established the beliefs of Christianity. It established the beliefs of the way, of following Jesus. And so in this creed, they they had something finally that they could say, this is what we believe. Because at the time, before there there was a canonization of scriptures, before there was a Bible, there was a lot of things floating around. And a lot of stories floating around. And there wasn't a lot of things in writing. They didn't have laptops. They had tablets, but not like what you're thinking of, right? And so this stuff didn't get around as easily in a set. You couldn't just Google what do Christians believe, right? That didn't happen. Most of the information was communicated orally. And so you'd go to the synagogue and this dude would read some, some of the uh, scrolls and then talk about it. But most of the, the information that was being shared and dispersed was through conversations and was through relationships. And so you had 50 different people telling the same story. And you guys remember playing the, the, the game telephone in elementary school and middle school and stuff. And you start off saying, you know, I have four bananas. And at the end, it's I love Nancy Reagan or whatever it is, right? And you're like, how did it get to that? And it just, you know, going through. And so you can imagine you got all these different people trying to tell the same story. A lot of stuff was coming out that wasn't reality. And at this time, there were still people that were like, no, nah, man, my grandma and my grandpa, they walked with Jesus. That, that, that junk's not true. And so there was a lot of debate going on, a lot of heresy taking place at the time. And so this document came out that said, listen, this is what we believe. These are the non-negotiables of the Christian faith. This is what we are going to agree on. All that peripheral stuff that everybody else is talking, all that junk that everybody else is saying is the truth, that's not it. This is it. And so that's what this Apostles' Creed was. It was to attempt to establish the faith so that everybody could be on the same page. They could say, this is what we believe about God. And so what we're doing is we're spending the next four weeks kind of breaking down that creed because it gives us some really great insight into the Trinity and into our involvement in the Trinity and how all that kind of plays together and works for the relationship of humanity and God. So I wanted to start off this morning 
by reading the Apostles' Creed. So it'll be up on the screen. You don't have to read it aloud with me, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it says this. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everlasting life. Amen. And so it goes through and it kind of hits these big idea pictures. It talks about God the Father. And then it talks about Jesus for like two or three stanzas. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the Holy Catholic Church. Whenever it says the Catholic Church, they're not talking about like the Pope over at the Vatican and all that. Catholic means universal. And so really it's like the church universal. So it was like the church, meaning the body of Christ, not the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, just for clarification. And so it goes through and it says, this is what we believe. And it's a very Trinitarian approach. It's, it's talking about a triune God. And we, we've talked about the Trinity here before, how it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all God, but all different, and all the same, and all different, and all the same, and all different, and all the same, and all different. And it kind of plays together, and it's this like harmonious relationship, right? We've talked about that. It's kind of a mind bender, um, but we've talked through it. And so this is establishing, this is what we believe. And then at the end, it talks about humanity and the communion of saints, and we're gonna hit all of these topics over the next couple of weeks. But today... What I want to do is I want to focus on that first stanza that says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so this morning, I want to talk about God the Father and what that means and what that looks like and how that applies to us and what our understanding is of that. And so let's pray together, and then we'll jump into this, spend just a few minutes talking about God the Father. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for you know, uh, all that you've given us. And we want to pause right now for just a moment and respond and reflect on that. We've all carved out this time in our weekly schedule to, to set aside time to come together with other people who are chasing after you. And so I pray, God, that as we draw near to you and we make an effort to draw near to you, that your word says that you will draw near to us. And I pray that we would experience you this morning. I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit to illuminate scriptures and illuminate our conversation. And I pray that we would leave this morning encouraged, we'd leave this morning challenged, and we'd leave this morning changed. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Okay, cool. So who is God the Father? Now here's something that's super important to remember and to wrap your head around. Anytime that you're opening the Bible, anytime that you're checking stuff out theologically or, or anything, something that's very, very important to remember is that everything we say, everything we write, everything that we envision, everything we describe, everything that we attribute to God is a metaphor, okay? That's, that's like step one. That's important for us to realize. All the language we use to describe God is a metaphor. It's not literal. It's a metaphor, and that's very, very important at the ground level of this because here's the deal. We're using words and we're using pictures and we're using melodies and harmonies and we're using titles and we're using descriptions and we're using all of these things from our limited human perspective to describe something that's other. Does that make sense? We're using the words that are in our vocabulary. We're using the ideas that are in our mind. We're using our experiences collectively 
to muster up this definition of something that's bigger, better, greater, larger, more grandiose than anything we can even wrap our minds around. And so we're using the words that we understand to describe something that we don't fully understand. Does that make sense? And so when we're attributing these attributes and these thoughts and these ideas and these titles and these um, sort of you know, uh, ideas about God, they're metaphors. Because it, it, when you look through scripture, the ancient, um, the ancient Jews, they, they, they wouldn't even like utter the name of God because it was so reverent and it was so respectful. And in, in writing, if you translate it to the English, it ended up being this YHWH which is this idea that we've interpreted as Yahweh. We've thrown in some vowel sounds so that it makes sense. But essentially, when the ancient Jews were, would say this, it would come across as if a breath. It was this idea of Yahweh. And that was kind of the idea of who God was because they didn't utter his name because it was such a big deal. It was so other. It was so much bigger and grander and larger than anything they could wrap their heads around. So they had this awe and reverence and respect for it. And so in Scripture, you'll notice that throughout scripture, God is called many, many, many different things. And he's referenced to as many, many, many different ideas. I mean, scripture calls him the creator. It calls him master, calls him Lord, uh, a shepherd, a lion, called a shepherd and a lion. Those two were like the antithesis of each other back in the first century. Uh, They call him a judge, a potter, the bread of life, the morning star. So there's all these different things. And one of those things is father. One of the things that are characterized and attributed to God is that he's a father. And we sing the song, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, right? And we sing that and it's a powerful song and I love it. And it's one of these metaphors. It's one of these ideas that we're giving to describe God. But I believe that our understanding and our knowledge of God has been a process since the beginning. I feel like it's been something that we've been learning It's something that we've been developing. It's something that we've been wrestling with. You know what the term revelation means? The the idea of revelation is that God is revealing himself to us. And so I think that revelation that God has been giving us has been a process. I believe that he didn't lay out everything in the garden to Adam and Eve and say, here's all my cards, right? Because it's like if we were to lay out all the ideas of mathematics to a newborn child, they'd be like, ah, Like, what the heck's the point, right? You teach people things as life goes on. And I believe that God has taught us who he is as we've progressed as humanity and as we've progressed in that relationship with him. And so you can see that kind of in scripture as well as how humanity relates to God. You can see how in the Old Testament they're related to God much different than they do in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, they're related to God much differently than we do now. And it's a continuing process But in the Old Testament, they only use this terminology, God the Father, 10 times in the whole Old Testament. They only refer to God as a father 10 times. Two of the times is this creative begetting idea. Two of them is just like a name and they address him as a father. Two of them, three times is that he's defending and saving like a father would. Um, Two times they reference it as a father to the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And so they're not even calling him their father. They're saying it's the father of the Messiah. And then one time they do it as like this praiseworthy, noteworthy name and attribute. So they do it 10 times in the Old Testament, which shows us that humanity didn't really view God as a father figure as much back then. Their understanding of God and the way that God revealed himself to humanity at that stage in history was not as developed enough for them to to have that sort of fatherly son-daughter relationship with God. But then you get to the New Testament where things have progressed. We've learned more about God. God has revealed more of himself 
to us in the process. And so you get to the New Testament and they reference God the Father hundreds of times in the New Testament. They reference God as a father hundreds of times to portray God as this loving father figure. God is this loving father figure. So the more that he reveals himself to humanity and the more humanity pursues him, the more that we learn about each other, we say, you know what? This, this God is just like a loving, caring father. And so you can see the stark difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how this progression has sort of taken place. And so in the New Testament, Paul is writing, you know, Paul is this guy who persecuted Christians and then had this encounter with God on the road to Damascus and just totally changes his whole life and begins to be an advocate for God and begins to, to do all this stuff, plant churches, start churches, coach church leaders, all this stuff. And so he writes all these letters to these churches. And these letters are what are co- part of the New Testament. All the, you know, the Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, all those ones that end in the IANS, most of those are letters from Paul to these different churches. And so he's writing in, to the church in Corinth, which is the Corinthians, and at the end of his second letter to them, he says this, this, this passage And in this letter, we can skim right by it, but he hits all three of these attributes of God, all three of these triune attributes of God. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He's closing out his letter. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so he's saying this, and what this does, this is exactly what we're talking about in the Apostles' Creed, all three of these things. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Right? And it goes on, I believe in Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, did all that stuff, whatever. And it goes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 and talks through that. And so Paul and the Apostles' Creed are kind of saying the same thing in these two passages. But Paul highlights sort of their understanding of this triune God. He says, Jesus. He says, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the active pursuit of Jesus in your life is this idea of grace, through his sacrifice and resurrection and salvation through grace. And so Paul kind of lays that out there. And then he says, the Holy Spirit, he talks about fellowship and how there's this fellowship with the Holy Spirit and there's this guidance and this conviction and this relationship with the Holy Spirit. But then of, of God the Father, he says, and the love of God, the love of God. And so he attributes this idea of love to God the Father. And so that's where I want to kind of stake my flag this morning is that when we're talking about God the Father, we're talking about his love for us. And that's been a developing understanding of who God the Father is since the beginning of time. But I feel like his main active attribute for us is love. God the Father is love. And so it says this in John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love. And when Paul closes out the letter, he goes, may the love of God. He talks about the grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He says, the love of God be with you. And then John 3.16, not Austin 3.16, John 3.16. Many of you guys know John 3.16 from being on like Tim Tebow's eye things or athletes put it on their cleats or whatever the case may be. But it says, for God so loved the world, and then you could probably finish the rest, but how about that first part? For God so loved the world. The predicator to him sending Jesus to us 
is that he loved us so much. For God so loved the world. You know, there's this guy, Richard Rohr, who's a a great thinker. Um, I think he's out in Arizona or something like that. He's a Franciscan uh, friar. But he, he, he lays down the Trinity like this. He says that God the Father is this idea that God is for us. He says God the Son, this is God alongside of us. And that God the Holy Spirit is God within us. And he wrote a whole book called The Divine Dance. It's on the, the uh, concept of the Trinity. And it's, it's really, really strong, really, really powerful. But he says God the Father is God for us. I love that. For God so loved the world. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And a lot of times we focus on the fact that he sent Jesus. And yeah, that is awesome. And that is huge. And that is how, you know, salvation and grace and faith and and all these different things. But the predicator to that is super powerful. That God the Father loves us. And that God the Father is for us. And so what I want to communicate this morning is just that. As we start off with this whole uh, series on the Apostles' Creed, and as we're going to spend the next four, the, this week and then the next three weeks talking through the Trinity, this Trinitarian idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the communion of saints, I want the bedrock for that. I want the foundation for everything we talk about to be built on this idea that God loves us, and that God is for us. God loves us, and God is for us. And for some of us, that's hard to take in. Because they say, you know, our view of God is, is heavily impacted by our view of our earthly father. And our relationship with our earthly father has a lot to do with how we relate and view God. And so when we started this morning off, we said, yes, yeah, some of you guys in here have a really good dad. And so it's probably going to be a little easier for you to see God as a good father. You know, you're going to be able to embrace that because you know what a good father looks like. You know what a good father feels like. And so when we say God is a good father that loves you and that is for you, you get that. And so you're able to wrap your head around it. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. And so when we hear this idea that God is a father that loves you and is for you, if we've had a a bad experience, for some of us, it gives us hope. It says, you know what? This relationship with God, that's what I've been looking for in my earthly father, and they've screwed up big. But I can find that in God. And that's an encouragement to you. And that's exciting to you. And you say, yes, I love that. I accept that. I want more of that. I want God the Father who is all about me, who loves me so much and is for me. I'm into that. But some of us, we have this, this idea of a father and it's, it's a really, really bad situation and we, we're gonna struggle with this a little bit. We're gonna say, you know what? I'm good. Been there, done that. A lot of disappointment, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. I, 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 I'm not about that life, right? Uh, no thanks. But I want to encourage you this morning that God loves you so much. Scriptures tell us that God loved us before we even acknowledged him, when we were still in our sin, when we were still in our junk. He loved us so much anyway. And that he loves you so much. And that he's for you. He loves you 
that he's for you. Just like I want to kiss my son Jackson 5,000 times a day, and I'm just so full of joy when I see him wake up, even though he pooped in his pants and I know I have to change it. He's stinky. It's disgusting. But all I want to do is pick him up and hug him and love him and kiss his big chubby cheeks. That's just a fraction of how God feels about you. Doesn't matter how stinky you are. Doesn't matter how crappy your situation, pun intended. You know, it doesn't matter. God loves you so much that he just wants to pick you up and hug on you and love on you because he loves you and he is for you. And that is so important for us to realize. That's so important for us to grasp and to wrap our heads around because none of this other stuff matters if we don't have that bedrock understanding that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's cool. But God loves you. That's the predicator. That's step one, is realizing that God is a father who is for us and who loves us. And so I want to encourage you, don't let your theology and your study and your growth and everything dilute this simple truth. Sometimes we can get so far into our Bible study and so far into this stuff and get so heady with everything that we forget the simple fact and the simple truth that God loves you so much and that God is for you. I don't want to get into the name it, claim it, you know, prosperity gospel bullcrap right now, but he wants you. He loves you. He's for you. And it's a very simple thing for you, for you to embrace that. My encouragement to you is to embrace that and to lean hard into that. And so if you're in here this morning and you've never been like, okay, you know what? I accept that. I, I receive that. I'm into that. I would like to live life like that with Father God who's saying, I love you and I care for you and I'm for you. If you've never accepted that, I want to give you the opportunity. It's very simple. You say, God, I want that. I want in. I want in. And he comes and he says, all right, let's do this thing. It's a decision that goes like this, but it's a journey that lasts a lifetime. I'm still working mine out. I still have good days and bad days. Chris and Bob who get up here and talk, Leo, and well, Anna doesn't. She always has good days. But the rest of us, we have good days and bad days, right? It's a journey that takes forever. But in all of it, no matter how stinky, no matter how crappy, God says, you know what? I love you and I'm for you. And so if you're in here this morning and that's never happened, I want you to do that. If you've made this decision, but you've lost that, the noise of life, the noise of everything else has come in, all these different ideas, and you've sort of forgotten that the basis of it all is that God loves you and that God is for you. I want you to recenter on that this morning. I want you to refocus on that this morning. I want you to embrace that this morning. And you say, but Sam, I got this wrong. And Sam, I got that wrong. And Sam, I don't know how I feel about this hot topic. And I don't know how I feel about that debatable issue. And I don't know about this or that or whatever. Hey, it's okay. God loves you. And God is for you. And he cares so much about you. And so maybe you need to walk away with that encouragement this morning. And some of us this morning that do walk in that, and we get it, and we're like, yeah, man, preaching to the choir here. Well, I want to encourage you to show it even more and to not only receive that love, but to reflect that love and to let other people know how much God loves them. No matter how stupid you think they are, God loves them and God is for them too. And so it's important that everyone feels that and knows that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, 
I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your revelation that you're consistently revealing yourself to us. And as we grow in the faith, we grow in relationship and understanding of who you are. God, this morning, for those of us who have never made the decision to accept you as their father, I pray that they would just say the simple words of God, I want in. Let's do this. And you know what's going on in their heart. There's no magic potion or magic verbiage. It's an issue of the heart. God, I pray this morning that you send your Holy Spirit that people would do business with you. God, I pray that if your love has been diluted or your love has been clouded out by all the other noise, I pray that we would recenter and refocus this morning on the simple truth that you love us and that you are for us and you care so much about us. And God, this morning, those of us who have accepted that, I pray that we would reflect that that we would accept the love that you have given us and we would be a reflection of that to others. God, we thank you for this series and this journey that we're launching to go through the Apostles' Creed and check all this stuff out. It's gonna be so exciting. I pray that you would continue the conversation in our hearts, that you would continue your work in our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.